Thank you, Daniel. Amen and amen. You know, I had some change for a long time in my life. I was uh, 27 years old when I became a Christian. Had a life of sin, a life of gambling, and all that goes with that. And I'm telling you, on October the 3rd, when? 1979. I was radically changed. I was saved. And what happened to me, is just like that song says, God took the chains from me, the chains of sin. The devil had me shackled. The devil had me all shackled up. And God delivered me from sin on October the uh, 30th, right? All right, y'all help me out. Help me out, church. Help me out. October the 30th, 1979, I was delivered. And so uh, I, when I sing that song, I really believe he's a chain breaker. He really is. He can break those chains that you've erected of sin in your life. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter where you've been. And listen, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. He's a chain breaker. He'll deliver you from your sin if you'll let him. He doesn't force it on you, but he will certainly deliver you from sin. Amen. Good to see you today. Thank you for being here. we still got a lot of people out today, a lot of people coming back. Uh, from fall break and all of that. Some of them have been down with Mickey and Minnie, and they're on the way back, all right, and all of that. So uh, anyway, uh, thank you for being here today. We've got some special guests in the house today. The Athens Golden Eagle football team, 6-2, and two, by the way. Y'all stand up, guys. <laughs> Athens football team, most of them are here. Proud of you guys. Woo, Amen. I'm telling you, them boys are bad. 56 to nothing Friday night. Boy, y'all don't have any mercy, do you? No mercy. Anyway, thank you for being here under the direction of Coach Cody Gross and his wife Karen, who are members of our church. Can I get a witness? Coach Gross. Where's Coach Gross? You stand up, Cody. Karen, you stand up, too. You're the assistant coach, all right? There they are right there. Thank you, guys. All the coaches stand up. Daniel. Remember, set up, Daniel. All you guys stand up. They're the coaches right there. Amen. Now, these coaches think they're six, six and two because of them, but these guys know better. Amen. All right. Thank you guys for being here. We're honored to have you today. Thank you for coming and hanging out with us this morning at Lindsay Lane. You know what we do here at Lindsay Lane? We have a good time at church. So you go ahead and smile, okay? <laughs> you know, you know, you're not unrighteous when you're smiling and having a good time at church. So thank you for being here. Open your Bibles today to the book of Revelation. And so, uh, by the way, gang, we're in a Revelation. So we're going through the book of Revelation, each chapter, trying to take each chapter of Revelation and going through this difficult book. Brother Danny prayed. It is a difficult book, but it's also an enlightening book. It's an encouraging book. John was encouraged when he got to see into heaven, wasn't he? And so I'm excited too. So thank you for being here today. I had an interesting morning. My mom had surgery this morning at 8 o'clock. So I've been at the hospital. My mother, she had a, a hip. She had a, some pins put in her hip. And so she's doing fine. They wheeled her out and I got to see her. said, I'm going to preach. She said, go preach, son. Preach it, brother. Preach it, son. So anyway, she was hurting too, man. Pray for me. Pray for me. So anyway, pray for my mother. So she had surgery this morning. You know, it's interesting. It's really neat when the doctor comes in. This is a young guy. I never met him before. Dr. Daggs, I believe is his name. He comes in and said, you mind if I pray for your mother? Can I get a witness? I like that doctor. I'm going to go back to him. Amen. Sure did. Prayed for my mother. Uh, for before surgery, and so we prayed for him as well. So anyway, I'm glad you're here. Now, talking about Revelation, a lot of you are saying, man, I can't understand Revelation. It's so hard. You're saying a lot of preachers don't dare touch Revelation. And it is a difficult book to comprehend because it's so much symbolism, as we'll see today. God uses, uh, John uses a lot of symbolism to relate and all of that. You think about this. As I go through this today, think about this. Now, John's in the first century. And he's seeing way out in the future, even past us. Can you imagine the things he saw and trying to relate all he could relate to in his day and time? He's trying to relate all of this to what he's seeing in heaven. And so he uses a lot of symbolism, and so sometimes it's hard to understand. And uh, we can't figure it out. It's like this guy I was reading about. uh, This guy was cutting his grass. And his neighbor just came out of the house and went to the mailbox, looked in the mailbox, and just slammed the mailbox and went back into the house. 
Neighbor kept cutting the grass. About an hour later, the neighbor came back out, went to the mailbox. And the guy just said, what's he doing? Looked in the mailbox, got nothing out, slammed the door angrily. Went back in the house. And about an hour later, he was finishing up his yard. The guy came back out for the third time, went to the mailbox, really stomping. Looked in there, slammed his door in the mailbox, and he just started back to the house. He said, hey, 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 wait a minute. What's up, man? You look like you're angry. What's going on? He said, you know what? My computer just keeps telling me I got mail. <laughs> Amen. And so sometimes we have a hard time figuring things out. And we try to figure out everything. And so it's kind of hard. It's like little Johnny. You know, little Johnny's trying to figure things out. So his mother was reading little Johnny a bedtime story. And she was reading about God's judgment. And she's reading about God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that story? She was reading that to him and talking about that. And she said, the man Lot was warned to take his wife and flee out of the city. But his wife looked back and turned into a pill of salt. And little Johnny said, well, duh, what happened to the flea? So anyway, <laughs> y'all get that about lunchtime. And then you just throw your fork in the air and laugh. And say, oh, now I know what pastor does. The flea, F-E-A, you know, all right. Anyway, I'll try to figure. See, y'all can't even figure that out. How are you going to learn Revelation? <laughs> all right, I'm kidding. I love you guys. It's good. To, I'm laughing now because this is a difficult book. Amen. So we better laugh while we can. And so uh, anyway, I want to share with you today. We're in chapter 9. We're in, we're in the seven trumpet area. We've already talked about the seven seals. And now we're looking at the seven trumpet judgments. In chapter 8, verse 13, the angel introduced the three other woes, or the three other trumpet uh, judgments of the seven trumpet judgments. And so he said, we talked about the first four last Sunday in chapter 8. And now in chapter 9, we're going to look at the fifth and sixth trumpet woe, if you will, the trumpet judgment. So in chapter 9, there's seven. But John doesn't give us the seventh seal until chapter 11. And so we'll get to that eventually, right? But right now we're going to look at the fifth and sixth seal as we open those in chapter 9. Now before we begin, I want to read a statement to you. Be on the screen. I want to read this statement. I kind of wrote it down to kind of help us with this. Here's what it says. The statement says this. Thus far, in Revelation 6, 8, and 9, we are dealing with what the Old Testament prophets call the great and terrible day of the Lord. Therefore, I realize that the subject and material with these messages are very unpleasant to hear and not very enjoyable. And believe me, they're even harder to preach. Some of you may have trouble relating the timing of these various judgments in Revelation. Please realize that these seal judgment, these trumpet judgment, and the bow judgment are not chronologically sequential. And most likely, they do not occur simultaneously. The Apostle John's vision of these coming events will take place in the last days, and he's speaking from heaven's perspective. Thus, John is viewing the coming events from the standpoint of eternity, which holds no time limits. In other words, in heaven... There is no sense of past or future, only the present. So that's why it's so difficult to tell exactly when these events occur, occur with a chronological time frame. Especially when you have chapter 7 and chapter 10 and 11 are pauses in between the seal and trumpet judgments. As we talked about in chapter 7. And so in chapter 9, we want to dive right in. We want to look at the fifth trumpet. The fifth trumpet, this is the locust from the pit, all right? Let me pray for us, and then I'll begin. Father, as we prepare our hearts now, Lord, to hear a word from you, Father, we cannot do this without the, uh, Lord, intervention of your Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray right now for the Holy Spirit of God to fill me, Lord, and preach through me. And I pray for your Spirit to fill us. Let us have ears to hear. And let us have a heart, Lord, to discern your word for us individually and collectively and corporately as a church body. And so, Lord, as we preach today, we pray for your anointing. We pray that you would speak directly into our heart. Father, there's some in this room today that need to be saved. There's some need to make a personal commitment, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I pray you would speak to them today. Speak to all of us. Encourage us through your word. 
And Father, may we hear this word directly from you. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have in our nation today, that we can have church publicly and preach the word publicly. So Lord, we just pray for this message today, that you would receive it into our heart, would be our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The fifth seal, the locust from the pit. Now look in verse number 1 of chapter 9. And the fifth angel sounded. Now this is the seventh trumpet judgment. This is the fifth angel. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now I want you to notice something about this word fallen. Now look at it very carefully in verse number 1. The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven. If you would, look over in chapter 8 of Revelation and look in verse number 10. Look at verse number 10. Then the third angel of the third trumpet judgment said this, And a great star did what? Fell from heaven. Now notice the difference. In chapter 8, verse 10, this star fell from heaven. But in chapter 9, this great star had fallen from heaven. So there's a difference. In other words, if you read in the Greek text, this word fallen is past tense. It's something that's already taken place. So most likely he's referring to this star as the star of Satan. Satan was a star in heaven, if you will. He was an angel. And so we read already in Revelation that these stars refer to the angels. So Lucifer, Lucifer or Satan was an angel. And he had fallen from heaven. All right, so I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 14. So I want to bring this together before we begin. So look in Isaiah chapter 14. Again, if you visit with us today, when, as we go through Revelation, we're going back to the Old Testament because these great prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel, they prophesied what was coming. And so a lot of that is fulfilled in Revelation. So if you look in Isaiah chapter 14 and look in verse number 12 with me. Isaiah 14 and verse number 12. It's on the screen there. You can read it. How are you fallen from heaven? Fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. In other words, he didn't fall out of heaven. He got kicked out. God kicked him out because he wanted to be like God. He says it right here in the, in the text. You who weaken the nations. That's what he's trying to do today. Verse 13. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of congregation, that would be the Mount Zion, and on the farther sides of the north. Now we'll look at verse 14. And I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. In other words, he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be God. Now notice the last part of verse 15. Look at verse 15. Yet you shall be brought down to skull, which is the abyss. Now I want to talk about that in a moment. So mark that. You have been brought down to the abyss, or skull, to the lowest depths of the pit. And that would be the bottomless pit. Now look in chapter 9, verse 1 again. Now watch this. The fallen angel, what was given to him? Notice in verse number 1. To this fallen angel in heaven, to the earth, to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. All right? Now, I want to talk about that today. We need to look at that. So, number one is the star. In your outline, if you have an outline, the fifth trumpet, and then A is the star, and now B is the key. We want to look at the key now in B. Now, in verse number one, it says that this key... Who, Satan, this star, fallen star, was given a key to the bottomless pit. Now, by the way, God gives Satan the key to the bottomless pit because the truth here in your outline, Satan must get his authority from Christ. Satan can't do this on his own. Everything that he does, he's a fallen angel. He's below God. And so everything he does, he has to have permission. He has to have authority from Christ or from God, if you will. Now, look what happened. He, he's given a key to the bottomless pit. Now, at first glance, we would say, well, that's hell. No, it's not hell. He's not speaking of hell in this terminology. This bottomless pit is not hell. It's the abyss. 
It's called the abyss. It's referred to as the abyss, if you will. It's a place or a prison of confinement. It's where these demon angels are until the judgment. Well, where do you get that? Well, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Let's look at the Bible. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So look in Luke chapter 8. Turn back in the Gospel of Luke and look in Luke chapter 8. And watch this. This is Jesus speaking here. Luke chapter 8, and look with me, if you will, in verse 30. What happens here, uh, Jesus had taken his disciples across the Sea of Galilee, and he, now he's over in the Gadarenes, and so he meets this demon-possessed guy. Remember the story there? It's in chapter 8 here. He's, this man is demon-possessed. His name is Legions, and he says, because we have many. Now look in verse number 30. Jesus takes it up right there. Jesus met him, and he's demon-possessed. And Jesus said and asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. Not just one demon, but many demons were in this dude. He was a wild man. Now look in verse number 31. And they begged him that he would not command them, Jesus would not command them to go into the abyss. The abyss, that skull, that's the bottomless pit. That's where these demonic angels are held, if you will, in reserve for the judgment day when God deals with them. And so then they'll be cast into hell after the great white throne judgment. All right? So this is kind of the opposite of paradise. Remember when Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. In other words, waiting for the resurrection, and then we'll all go to heaven together, bodily going to heaven. So the opposite of that would be the abyss. This is where the demonic angels are located, and I'll talk more about that and show you that. Now listen to Jude 6. Jude 6 says this, And the angels who do not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, that would be heaven, He, God, has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So these angels, this third of the angels in heaven that were cast out with Lucifer, they've been chained, if you will. They're bound. Now there's other angels, there's other demonic angels who are about and about. There's not an angel behind every bush, but there are demonic beings out there. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been encountered somebody that's been demon-possessed, but I have. When I was in Africa, a young lady they brought before us was foaming at the mouth. It took two or three people to hold her, and she was demon-possessed. And I'm telling you, I watched, the, I watched as that pastor there, and we prayed over her, cast that demon out of her. She just became limp. And then the next morning, she was running around like any 12 or 13-year-old girl. Unbelievable. So there are demons, but a third of them has been cast into the abyss. They're chained. They're awaiting the judgment of God. Very clear in Scripture. And so let me help you with that. I'll turn with me to Second Peter. I want you to see this. I'm taking time. Second Peter. Turn to your left. Go past Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and you'll come to Second Peter. All right, Second Peter, look in chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. When you get there, say, uh-huh. Y'all doing good. Some of you are waiting for it on the screen, right? And that's okay, that's okay. But you need to learn how to use your Bibles. Now, Second Peter chapter 2, and look in verse number 4. Look what Peter writes. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them to hell, that would be the abyss, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Uh, the Greek word there, if when you read it, that, that word hell in the Greek is tartarsus. And that is an abode holding, if you will, of the abyss. It's called that in the Greek text. Now look in verse number 9 of Second Peter chapter 2. Look down in verse number 9. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation, that would be us, and to reserve the unjust, that would be the unbelievers, under punishment, for the day of judgment. Now, when we get to Revelations chapter 19 and 20, you'll be seeing this day of judgment. This is the final judgment that's coming, the great white throne judgment. But until then, it's been reserved. God's moving. God is moving, and God's always in control. It's interesting when you think about this key, this word key, He's given the key to the bottomless pit. 
What does that mean? <clears throat> what does that word key mean? It means Satan was given the authority, if you will, by God, as we talked about, to the bottomless pit. Now, if you remember when Jesus met with his disciples and he established the church in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Right? Remember that? <coughs> Excuse me. And then verse 19, Jesus said this, Peter, I'm going to give to you and the guys, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And what did he mean by that? I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you loose, you know, whatever you loose in heaven, loose on earth, that sort of stuff. What do you mean by that? He's gave, he gave them the key to the gospel. The, the word key there in verse 19 of Matthew 16 refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean, pastor? What are you trying to teach us here? Listen to this. God has given Satan authority. You know he's the prince of the air. You do know that. He's got reign on the earth. That's why a lot of bad things happen to good people and all of that. But think about this. Inside of me, inside of you, is the Holy Spirit of God. Right? So we have the key to the kingdom inside of us, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ as well. Now think about this. I, dusty as a believer, I have power, authority over Satan. He's been given the key to the bottomless pit. I've been given the key to the gospel. And I can say, get behind me, Satan, in Jesus' name. Amen? That's the power. So you don't realize you have it. Christians today don't realize the power that we have over Satan and his demonic influence. You can say no to temptation. You can say no to sin. You can tell the devil to get behind you and have victory in your life. But if you're going to be a wimpy Christian, he's going to beat you up. He's going to have a field day with you. You don't know which ends up. You're going to have authority in Jesus' name. Amen? Authority in Jesus' name. And so you've got to tell Satan, get behind me. It's like little Johnny, you know. His mother said, little Johnny, I don't want you to go swimming in that swimming pool. He said, yes, ma'am. About an hour later, he comes in soaking wet. She said, little Johnny, didn't I tell you not to get in that pool? He said, yes, ma'am, but the devil made me do it. He said, no, he didn't. You got power over the devil. Just tell the devil to get behind you. He said, I did. That's when he pushed me in. <laughs> By the way, he's going to try to push you. You know, you go to that party, you're a Christian, everybody's doing it. You don't do it. Everybody's watching it, not you. Amen? I'm speaking to adults, too. You see, we, we sell God short. We sell the power of the Holy Spirit short because we have power, man. We've got power in the blood. We're covered by the blood of Christ. We've got authority over this dude, Satan. Right? And so that's why we have to claim that. So... Uh, we have the keys of the kingdom. thought I'd just share that with you. Now, number C is the locust. Now we're getting into the, some of the imagery, some of the symbolism that John uses to describe these locusts. Now, look in verse 2 through 11. Are you with me in chapter 9? All right, let's look at verse 2 through 11. And he opened the bottomless pit, and what came out of that pit? Smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. And to them were given power as a scorpion of the earth has power. And they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. We talked about that, remember? Now verse number 5. And they were, they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them. They couldn't kill them, but they tormented them, these locusts, for five months. And I'll explain that five months in a moment. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, watch verse 6. In those days, men will seek death, and they will want to die, but they will not. And death will flee from them. Can you imagine wanting to die, begging to die, and you can't? 
because these scorpions, these stings are tormenting you for five months if you don't have the seal of God on your forehead. But if you have the seal of God on your forehead, those things aren't going to bother you because you're sealed by God. Now, we're talking about the tribulation period. I believe the church is going to be ra- will be raptured up. But there will be believers that will believe in the tribulation who will be martyred. But they won't be tormented by these locusts because they have the seal of the forehead of God uh, on their forehead. And that's what the Bible has just taught us. It's very clear about that. So the smoke comes up out of the abyss. This is the abyss, the bottomless pit. The smoke comes out, and these, and these locusts comes out. Now, they're an army of demons. And again, it's a symbolism of locusts. He uses locusts. Now, if you remember, we're talking about the plagues of Israel, the ten plagues of Israel. This is like the eighth plague of Israel. You remember what happened? God sent the locusts. Now, these locusts are different than the ones here in Revelation 9 because these locusts devoured the, the grass, the trees, and everything. If you'll read Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 through 10, it talks about how the locusts covered Israel, uh, covered Egypt. And God sent this eighth, eighth plague of the locusts, and the Bible says that the locusts covered the earth. Thousands upon millions upon millions of locusts covered the earth there in Egypt and ate everything, trees, grass, everything. Now, these locusts, John sees a symbolism here to that, but these locusts are very different. They're like scorpions, and he'll describe them here in a moment. And they're not killing the people. They're tormenting them. They're tormenting them so that they want to die, but they cannot. And so... A locusts are used by God as a, a, a rule of, a, I mean, a tool of judgment in Deuteronomy chapter 28, Joel chapter 2. And so this was something familiar to John. So he uses these locusts as a symbolism to what he's seeing in this vision in heaven. And so it's a demonic army. Now, you remember the 144,000? They have seals on their head and also those of Christ. In Revelation chapter 7, we talked about that. So these are escaping this judgment. And so uh, the five months. Now what does it say there in verse number 5? They were, given, they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. The reason it says five months because that's the lifespan of a locust. The lifespan of a locust is usually from May to September. That's usually the physical lifespan of a locust. Now... How can we relate to that? Everybody, anybody ever go to the Tennessee River? You ever go down there fishing or ever go skiing or whatever? You ever see the willow flies that hatch out in June and July? Y'all know what a willow fly is? Some people call them mayflies. I don't know where they got that. It's willow flies, all right? Willow flies. And so uh, uh, we were down there on the river not long ago, and we were getting ready to go out in our boat, and I'm telling you there were hundreds upon hundreds of willow flies. They were everywhere. They get in your ear, they get in your nose, in your mouth if it's open. I mean, they will get all over you, and you'll just kind of do this. Can you imagine all these locusts that Israel had to deal with? And can you imagine these locusts, a demon army, and they were stinging the people? And so that's a symbolic of they were, they were tormenting the people. And so we can, we can kind of see that, what's happening. And so they were, they were begging to die, but they couldn't. Now, verses 7 through 11, John gives us a description of these locusts. And remember, he's writing from the first century on the Isle of Patmos. He's writing, but he's trying to figure out what all of these things are that he's seeing hundreds of years later in this vision in heaven. So he's trying to describe it for us. Look in verse 7 through 11. The shape of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads were crowns of something like gold. And their faces were the face of men. They had hair like women's hair, long hair. And they had teeth like lion's teeth. And they had the breastplates like the breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings were the sound like chariots with many horses running into battle. They're making a lot of noise. And they had tails like scorpions. And there, there were stings in their tails. Now remember, they were like scorpions. Tails like scorpions. And all of these are symbolic. They're, they're the imagery here, or they're like these things. Okay, they're, they're symbolisms. And so their tails were like scorpions, and their stings in their tail. Their power was to hurt men for five months, torment them. And they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, 
whose name in the Hebrew is Abdon, Abaddon, and Apollon, if you will, is the Greek name. Apollyon, I'm sorry, Apollyon is the Greek name. And one woe is past. This is, just, this is just the fifth judgment angel. One woe is past, and behold, there are two more are coming after these things. Now, the symbolism that John's explaining here in verses 7 through 11 are... Uh, uh, they're, 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 it says their bodies were like horses. You know what it reminded me of? It's something like the Chronicles of Narnia. You ever seen that movie? You ever seen those weird evil versus good? Some of those dudes are ugly, aren't they? Some of those evil under that, that wicked witch. And so it's kind of something like that even, if you kind of, kind of imagine those kind of things. And so the demons had crowns, symbol of authority. Uh, the human faces like... Uh, men would be a symbol of, of intelligence. Uh, teeth like a lion would be pain or penetrating power. The breastplates of iron would be like a calloused heart. And so they had no mercy. The wings of a chariot is irresistible and overpowering. And stings in their tail would be a symbol of torment and chaos, which is terrible pain. And then notice in verse number 11, this demonic army that comes up out of the pit... Guess what? They had a king over them, and that king would be Satan himself. In verse number 11, it describes him. These are words used for Satan. Abaddon and Apollyon are these two names that are described of Satan. And so he's over these demonic, these demonic uh, beings. His army looks like locusts. And so he's over them, and they're coming out of the abyss. And they're tormenting all of those in the tribulation period who don't have the mark of God on their forehead. Wow. So they're tormenting all of those. All right, now let's look at the sixth angel. Number two, the sixth angel is the angel from the Euphrates River. The sixth angel is from the Euphrates River. Now look in verses 13 and 14. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar. Remember, we talked about this. If you, if you haven't read it, go back and read it. There's an altar in heaven. And the, the, four, the four horns are the altar. Look at this. Of the golden altar, which is before God. Now look in verse 14. And the, and the voice said, probably the voice of God, said to the sixth angel who had the trumpets, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now that's very significant, the river Euphrates. It's used so much in the Old Testament. And so it's very important that we understand. Now, number one, A here is the angels. Now notice these angels, the sixth angel unleashes the second woe. And so out of this pit, there's four angels that come. He specifically says the four angels who are leading this great army out of the bottomless pit and abound at the great Euphrates River. So why is this significant? Well, the river Euphrates is kind of the cradle of civilization. If you'll read uh, Genesis chapter 2, the, uh, the Euphrates River is kind of the, where it all originated. And by the way, it's where Babylon, it's where Babylon is. They believe the Garden of Eden. You know that? The Garden of Eden was located there in Babylon. So it's just kind of where it all began. That's why he uses this, this uh, significant of the river Euphrates is because this is kind of the cradle, if you will, of civilization where it all began with Adam and Eve in Babylon there at the Euphrates. Now, and by the way, it's also the boundary for Israel. The Euphrates River is the boundary for Israel. Now, if you'll read uh, Genesis chapter 15, write it down, Genesis 15 and 18 God promised Abraham, the father of Israel, God promised Abraham, I'm going to give you all of this land. And by the way, that's why all the conflict is between the Arab and the Jews today is over the land, right? God gave the Jews, Israel, the land. But the boundary was the Euphrates River. He said, all of this land I'm giving you. And Babylon, the Euphrates River was the, was the uh, boundary because Assyria... Assyria was there on the other side of the Euphrates and Babylon. All right? And now this number four. Four of these angels come out of this pit and lead this army. And so four is the number of the, of the government, if you will, the, the worldwide human government. And also the four represents the direction east, west, north, and south. And so when we get to chapter 16, we're going to talk about the Battle of Armageddon. 
And this is kind of where all of this is headed. All of these armies and all of this and these boundaries here of Euphrates because the enemy is going to come from that area. And we'll see that as we get closer to chapter 16 of, uh, cha- of Revelation. All right? And so these angels are apparently evil because uh, the holy angels wouldn't be bound. Amen? The holy angel wouldn't be bound. So these four angels who are coming across the Euphrates River, if you will, they are evil angels. Now, something else I'll just mention here. The Euphrates flows out of the mountain today. And today, if you go there, the Euphrates River flows out of the mountains of Armia, and they come down through Iraq and Iran. It runs right down through there. So, and by the way, it, uh, it goes into the Persian Gulf. So you think about what we're reading about Iraq and Iran. And I'm telling you, at the end times, it's all going to be about right in that area. You know that? They're going to all come against Israel. And so he's kind of giving us a picture here of this Euphrates River as a boundary, but also as a symbol of where all of this, the Battle of Megiddo, on the mountain of Megiddo, going to overlook the, where the battle is going to be of Armageddon. We'll get to all of this later, but I just want to give you previews of coming attractions. All right? So that's what we're going to be we're headed to. All right? Now notice verse 15. 15 and 16. So the four angels had been, who had been prepared... Now notice this. Do you, do you not know that God's in control? You know, even when we read Revelation, we say, oh my word, this stuff is just out of control. Who's, over, who's, who's controlling? God's in control. So look at verse 15. It gives us an idea. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, and the month, and the year. God's got all of this under control. They were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, this is the judgment. So, I don't, oh, how can that be? This is the judgment of God. Now, these four angels are leading this demonic army out of this body. They're going to kill a third of mankind. Now, these locusts were just tormenting for five months. But these army, if you will, they're going to kill a third of mankind. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen were 200 million. That's how many come up out of that pit. 200 million are the army, rather. I'm sorry, not out of the pit, but across the Euphrates. These are the ones. Now, the, the, the fifth angel was the ones that came out of the pit. This is the army that's coming across the Euphrates River. Are you with me? This is the 200 million who are coming against Israel, as we'll see later on, but also who are coming during the judgment. Now, uh, if, if, you, if you notice that, now watch this. This is the armies. Let's read about the armies. Verse 16. Verse 17. I heard the number of them. It was 200 million. Verse 17. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red hyacinth blue and sulfur yellow. And the heads of these horses were like the heads of a lion. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. And by these three plagues, a third of mankind were killed. By the fire, the smoke, and the brimstone. It killed a third of mankind. And it says, by the fire, smoke, and the brimstone, which came out of their mouths. Now look at verse 19. For their power is in their mouth and in their wing, in their tails. Their power of these Beings, if you will, this army is in their, in their tail and in their, in their uh, mouth. And their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. Now, again, we have a description of the army that's coming out of this Euphrates. The four angels are coming out. God's had them reserved for a certain time, a certain month, certain day. And God said, it's time. So he releases these four evil angels. And with them comes an army of 200 million. And they're marching. And they're like on horses, like horsemen. And so now watch this. He gives a description there in verse 17 and 18. What happens is they're like fire, brimstone, and smoke. Now I want to share So I want you to see this just for a moment. Because you probably read a lot of... Uh, Uh, prophets and a lot of uh, prophecies and people who speculate and all of that. And it's fun to do that. 
Because a lot of this, we don't understand it, right? We don't understand all of it. So he gives us this imagery, this symbolism of these army that's coming. Now watch verse 17 and look what he says. He talks about, he describes the breastplate or color, the red, white, a red, blue, and yellow, and it's uh, like armored chariots, all right? And the commentators, some commentators I read said this could be tanks, it could be missiles, or some other vehicles of war. John's trying to describe what he's seeing. He's never seen a tank. He's never seen a missile. He's never seen fire of those missiles, these rockets, and shooting out with fire. He's never seen that. So he's trying to describe it. And he's using terminology that he knows, like breastplates and tees of lions. See, he, he can understand all of that, but he can't understand see what all of this stuff is. But he's trying to describe it for us. And so some commentators try say these are probably some tanks, probably some missiles and other vehicles, lion's mouth, spouting fire out of the lion's mouth and belching smoke. These would be something like cannons and mortars. You know, you've seen these in war and nuclear missiles. They're coming out there with all this armor. And then tails like snakes. If you've seen a scorpion... A scorpion and tail like a snake. A scorpion looks like and has a little tail which symbols what? A helicopter. You think about those helicopters have a propeller on the tail like that and then like that. And so if you're trying to describe a helicopter that's shooting fire and bullets out of it, and you say, well, that's kind of like a scorpion. And so some commentators said that it's probably talking about maybe helicopters here who were battling and gunships that have rotary on their tails and gunships there. And so when you think about all of that, how would you describe it if you've never seen that, but you're seeing it in a vision? And so John's relating to that. And we don't know what they are, but we know it's a great army who's got military power. And I can't wait to get to the Battle of Armageddon because we're not going to need all that stuff. They got it. The enemy's got it. But it's just going to be like that. We'll get there, all right? So you've read ahead, right? All right? And so... Uh, this is one of the answers to the martyrs. God's going to deal with them. You know, they said, oh, how long, oh, Lord? How long are we going to wait? Well, it's happening. Judgment day's coming. And that's what this is. This is judgment day's coming. And then the last thing I want to give you, we talk about the angels and the armies, and then number C is the hardened hearts. Now, let's focus on this as we close. Look in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 9 as we close. Watch this. But the rest of mankind who were not... And by the way, let me just say this. The Bible just told us here in chapter 9 they kill how many? A third of mankind that's on the earth. Remember we read in chapter 4 where a fourth of them's already been killed. So that's half of the population on planet earth already been killed. A half of them. Now watch verse 20 and 21. This is very interesting. I want you to watch this. I want to share it just for a moment. Watch this, verse 20. The rest of mankind who weren't killed, it says, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols and gold and silver and brass, stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Why would you worship something like that? Can't do anything for you? Why, why do you refuse to worship God who can change your life, change your circumstance, change your heart, and yet we refuse to repent and worship God and we'll worship our vehicles, we'll worship whatever you want to put in the blank that can't do a thing for us in the end. Amen? Just think about that. That's what he's saying. And look at verse number 21. And they did not repent of their murders. Now, this is still going on during the tribulation. They're murdering the sorceries, the drugs, the witchcraft, the sexual immorality, or their thefts. He lists four sins here, if you will, and they wouldn't repent of that. Now, here's the point. Watch this. Can you imagine, let's just say you're not saved and you got left behind during the tribulation. Everybody, your friends, your, your, your Christian classmates, your, your co-football players, your cheerleaders, your majorettes, your co-workers uh, down at the factory, wherever you work, your neighbor, your, your family. 
The rapture's come, and all the Christians are raptured up, and you're left behind because you didn't get saved. You're not saved. And you're going to be a part of this tribulation period. And you're going to see all of this stuff going on, these, this torment and torture for seven years of the tribulation. You would think that seeing that, people would repent. Oh, God's true. It's true, man. Look at it. Mm-mm. You see, you remember Pharaoh? You think ten plagues would change his heart, right? They didn't. His heart was hardened. And see, here's the danger you're facing today by not getting saved. There may come a time when your heart just gets so hardened, you don't have any use for God, regardless of what's going on, it's not going to phase you. You will not want any part of God. Matter of fact, you'll curse Him. I've seen things on TV like you, tragedies where people have ha- are in an airplane or whatever, and the plane's going down, they're about to die. They're using the F word and everything you can imagine. I'm in an airplane and I'm crashing. I don't think I'm going to be talking about the F word. I think I'm going to be talking about big G, God. Help me! Save me! And so many people in the last days are going to harden their heart. It's going to be utter chaos during the tribulation period. And nobody's going to repent. Now, the 144,000 who are preaching and all that, there's going to be some saved during that. But he's speaking of here, even with all this chaotic stuff happening, they still would not repent. Like Pharaoh, their heart was hardened by their sin. And so this is why it's urgent today, right now. Listen to your pastor. You have a chance right now to receive Christ. If God's speaking to your heart, the Holy Spirit is drawing you to Him. You know what that means? God's saying, I love you. Come to Jesus. I provided Jesus on the cross to die for your sins so you don't have to go through all that torment, all of that tribulation. I'm, I'm here to save you today. And he is. Just like he did me in 1979 in my closet. And I've been changed ever since. So I want to give you an invitation today to receive Jesus. What does that mean? Here's what it means. I'm going to ask you to get out of your pew. If you'll just come right down here, you can sit on one of these pews. Or come to me or one of our pastors and just say, I need to be saved. I'm ready to be saved. God spoke into my heart, and I'm really ready to be changed. I want that today. Now, the devil's going to say this. You going to do that in front of all them people? Oh, you're not that bad. You're not bad as Joe or Jane. Good Lord, look at them. That's the way the devil works. Oh, not today. Maybe you're, it's in your church home. You don't need to be, no, we're talking about salvation. I'm not talking about joining the church right now. I'm talking about just getting saved. The devil don't want you to do that. He's come to seek, kill, and destroy. By the way, the Abilene and the Abilene, those, those names mean destroyer. They both mean destroy. That's what he's trying to do, destroy your life. He's going to take you down with drugs, pornography, sin, whatever it is. Uncon- just apathy, unbelief. And so here's the, here's the invitation. I'm going to give it right now. If you're willing to say, Pastor, I want to be saved today, I want to ask you to come up, take one of us, and just say, hey, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to point you out, but we do want to help you know how to be saved. We're going to ask you to come. If you'll do that, come on. And some others who have been visiting this church, you want to be a part of our church, we'd love to have you. You just come down too. Say, hey, I want to join the church. You may be a Christian. Say, I'm a Christian. I just want to join the church today. Some of you want to come and pray for friends and relatives. You come on too. Let's bow our heads. Father, in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us today. Lord, we know that you speak to us through your word. You speak to us through your Holy Spirit. And right now, Lord, I'm praying for the Holy Spirit of God to speak. To speak mightily. Lord, to just grab a hold of us and say, Today's the day. You need to be saved. You need to give your life to Jesus. I'm praying many would do that today. And Lord, as we give this invitation, it's not my invitation, it's your invitation. And I pray that people might come and receive Jesus. Some need a church family. We'd love to have them here at Lindsay Lane. Some want to come and pray for someone, maybe a situation. I urge them to do that. Lord, help us. Draw us by your Spirit. Speak to our heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? We'd ask you to come. God's spoken to your heart. You come on right now. As we sing, just like just like you are, you come. Come on, God's speaking, you come.
Christian, would you pray? Would you pray that someone might be saved today? Come on. subject on revelation but you know we read that last two verses God spoke into our hearts and some of us have never dealt with this issue called salvation we've never really dealt with Jesus we know about him we know a lot about the church or about the Bible but maybe we don't ever met Jesus this would be a great time today to be saved or maybe you're looking for a church home we'd love to have you here in our family at Lindsay Lane and so you continue to pray if you need to come and pray do that we want to give God time to move in our hearts this morning. God's speaking. God has spoken. And he continues to speak into our hearts. Father, would you speak into our hearts? Would you make it clear and plain to us what we need to do? And then draw us by your Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just you come. God's speaking. You come on. 